This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Vogue. Hey, Joris, how are you doing today? I'm great, Max. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. You know, summer's here. It's like nice out. We can ignore all the bad stuff that's going on for an hour and just talk about 3D printing. Who do we have on the podcast today? Right. That's perfect. That's perfect. Um, yeah, we have Omar, Omar uh, Blyer. So Omar is the founder and CEO of Castor. And Castor is an Israeli firm that can help you kind of identify and cost parts. So one of the biggest questions I get uh, as a consultant is, is people know like, you know, companies, especially really large companies that come to me and say, where do I start? You know, what parts can I print? Which parts can't I print? And uh, how can I determine where there's like an advantage in actually printing these parts? And uh, Castor is software that essentially you know asks these, uh, answers these questions and more. It's one of a couple of companies that do part identification software. And what Castor does is kind of it it uh, it, it can take in parts and then uh, analyze them, and that can be very very valuable to find out where you can start printing and how much money you can make and how much money you can save and which parts you should do and which you shouldn't. So, Homer, uh, yeah, that's, uh, the, I hope I summarized a little bit okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that, that was great. Um, hi, Joris. Sorry. Hi, Max. Um, thanks for the time and the opportunity. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to, to explain uh, a little more in a few minutes. But uh, as a short introduction, it sounds pretty good. Okay, 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 that's good. Few, few. Um, so, so where did, when did you get? When did you? Well, you got started in three D printing earlier, right? You worked for Obiet, later on for Stratasys. So, so you got started like presumably just that Obiet and Stratasys, right? That's how you got your first experience in three D printing, right? Me, in, in my background, I'm a mechanical engineer, but I also hold uh, an MBA in entrepreneurship and innovations. It goes from Tel Aviv University. This is where we sit. We're backed by. Uh, um, a venture arm of Telva University. So we sit inside the university in Israel. And um, before I started Castro, that's right, I, I uh, was an engineer, then, uh, then a team leader, then a project manager um, in Object and in Stratasys after the merge. And this is how I got into uh, additive manufacturing. And I think I was in, a, in a, an interesting position where I could see a lot of the market needs uh, what customers uh, wanted to see in additive and really get to know to the technology, um, which uh, back then was um, mainly about a combination of Polyjet and FDM, it's object and strategies, but also of, of all the other technologies out there. And uh, it put us in a position to see this uh, very uh, high-level need that the hardware is almost there. I mean, things are being done amazingly by additive, but the application is missing, the the parts are missing, and we see software as a way to bring more parts into the printer, and this is how we started Castro. And, and did you, was it like a concrete need, like a really concrete customer, or did you really just think that, that was a, like the, the from it was it really kind of a high level kind of thing? So hey, if we want to kick this into high gear, this is where we start, or, or how did you get started with that? 
<laughs> that, that's a good question. I would say that it was a combination of um, A, me doing an MBA, which means uh, open my mind as an engineer to doing business. And the atmosphere in Israel is very much of uh, entrepreneurship kind of uh, sphere. So a lot of uh, friends around you uh, sometimes think about having their own company. So I must say that I was affected by those kind of uh, of uh, atmosphere back then on 2017. So yeah, I mean, you see people are, are doing this move shifting from a corporate to their own thing and it's working for them so uh you start thinking whether i have those capabilities and uh, with time you're doing the move you start slowly and then you gain more and more confident and eventually start a company so i i would say it's, it's a mix of seeing a need in the market it wasn't a specific customer in the end of this need uh we did have uh, a lot of uh Initial traction in the early days of Castor, we, we've done like a beta mode, let's say from June 18 until November 19th, uh, where we had a lot of companies using the software for free. It was kind of a website that people could uh, upload parts. Um, so we could see that the product market fit was adjusted according to what we saw from the market. But we didn't start it from a specific need of a specific customer. It was uh, us seeing, in general, this need of a parts identification tool that is, uh, we call it, by the way, a decision support system tool to help manufacturers adopt additive manufacturing in an easier way. Okay. So how does it work? Like, imagine, um, is it for everybody? Is it for small companies, big companies? How does it work? Yeah. Um, so... As I've mentioned, Castor is a decision support system, which means we help manufacturers um, to decide whether to prefer additive manufacturing over traditional manufacturing methods when it can save them time and money. And we do that by analyzing CAD files and 2D drawings. And the advantage of Castor is that we're analyzing CAD files and 2D drawings in large scale, which means Castor is usually being used as a screening tool to upload the whole dashboard of a car or the whole inventory list of spare parts or the whole assembly or sub-assembly of a machine that a manufacturer wants to produce. And within seconds, we give a quick assessment whether we think there are parts that make sense to use additive out of those thousands of parts at once. I would add to that that we're not just looking at the design of the parts as is. We also highlight or recommend or suggest or putting the right angle on DFAM to identify parts that changing their design will utilize more of the benefits of additive manufacturing. For example, we're very good in identifying parts consolidation opportunities. So adjacent parts that make sense to be combined to a single part using additive manufacturing or identifying weight reduction opportunities. So we're not a topology optimization or generative design company, but we are very good in identifying bulky parts that if you'll make them hollowed or half hollowed from the inside, they will reduce a significant amount of weight. And we, we actually allow this action in, in our software today. I just, I'm curious on, on the combining parts uh, aspect mm -hmm. of it. So as a user, would I, I load an entire 3D File like a whole step assembly for you know for example assembly and right, then the software right. 
yeah, I load the assembly in and then it goes ka-chunk, 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 ka-chunk. Oh, hey, look at this. You know, these parts can be combined. Is it just right. suggest that you combine these parts or does it actually do the combining for you? Or Yeah, so the input is an assembly that can be a step file or either each one of the native CAD vendors that provides an option to export an assembly from their software. So uh, SolidWorks and uh, PTC and Autodesk and Siemens and uh, on shape of the world. And yeah, what we're looking is for adjacent parts that make sense to be combined to a single part. And uh, we're not doing the actual combination. We believe as a philosophy that it's, uh, although we are, we have those computational geometry capability in the software, we're doing that in other areas. I'll explain about that in a second. But uh, in that specific task, we believe it's the engineer job to actually combine those parts mm. together. We're doing the identification with all the information needed. So the time it saves to assemble it, the, uh, to assemble those three parts together, the, the cost reduction that it, those three different parts as a combined part saves, the material, we make sure that the material properties that was chosen for each one of the individual parts can be addressed by a single part that contains one material, which is addressing the majority of uh, mechanical com- mechanical properties that was designed. That the part was traditionally made, uh, designed for, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, okay, it does give a lot of information to the user before he chooses to put this effort of actually considering and actually combining those parts together. And with this information, I think it adds an intelligent way to production in a way that uh, engineers are, uh, they don't have it today. And and so how does this work? Because it seems kind of magical. I mean, how are you, you, you you're evaluating all these things? How, how does this actually? Um, Just answer the question, George. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, uh, uh, we have a lot of patents behind that. It's hard to, to tell in a few minutes, but uh, it, it works Pretty much like this. The user upload an, an assembly. That's a strength, as Max said. That's a strength of the tool, okay? With a list of traditional manufacturing materials that was chosen for each one of the parts by the designer engineer who designed them and the yearly production quantity. And this is it. We take it from there. We first distinguish between the interesting parts to the non-interesting parts. So we take out all the screws, bolts, nuts, spacers, sheet metals, uh, etc. We we don't even analyze them. It's a computer vision way that we have to identify parts that we all know as off-the-shelf items, okay? Then on the interesting parts at left, we're providing a high-level report of which parts are suitable for additive, which parts are suitable for additive with some changes, and which parts are not suitable for additive, where the pillars that we're laying on when we are providing this report are five pillars. The first is materials, whether there is a material in additive that can be matched to the traditional manufacturing material in the light of the preference of the user for the level of importance he has for each one of the mechanical properties. Once there is a material out there that can do the job, we're identifying a printer that can do this material. Usually there are few. We're choosing the cheapest out of those. And now there is a material, specific material in mind, a specific printer in mind. Then we're doing a geometry analysis to see whether the geometry of the part can be addressed by the, uh, in the light of the limitations of the geometry 
limitations of the printer who needs to do the job, including all the post-process uh, consideration and accuracy consideration and uh, and the level of uh, tolerances, manufacturing tolerances, the parts should reach to, et cetera, et cetera. If that went okay, then we're doing a cost estimation. That's the same old graph we all know from additive manufacturing reports, which finds the break-even point of additive versus traditional manufacturing way. If this break-even point says that it's higher than the quantity the user, the unit quantity the user planned to manufacture this month or this year, then we're highlighting that this part is also an economical benefit. I mean, it has a chance to be cheaper than traditional manufacturing methods, whether it's CNC or injection molding or die casting, etc. Then we're adding a lead time analysis to assess how fast you can get the first part in additive versus how fast you can get the first part in traditional manufacturing. And then you can put the forces and do what's called finite elements analysis to assess the likelihood to failure of a part uh, based on the forces acting upon it. And if the answer is positive for all of those five pillars, then we think the part is a good candidate for additive manufacturing, again, out of a lot of parts at once. We do that in seconds, in scale, large scale, okay? Is this answering That's your it? question or is it too detailed? No, yeah. I'm just like, is that it? Is that all yeah. it was? I mean, I, I thought, <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for more. <laughs> um, that sounds I, it's common. nice to have your life's work like reduced by <laughs> no, no, seriously, that oh. sounds like ridiculously complicated, but it sounds like, okay. So you have to take into account a lot of, there's a lot of processing power you have to use to, because there's like, there's hundreds of factors affecting build and, and, and post-processing and stuff like that. You know, so only that is, uh, you know, you'd have to take into account these several hundred factors per file, right? First, you're right. Okay. Uh, I would answer that in the business level and in the technology level, in the product level. On the business level, mm-hmm. I would say we're, we're, we're not selling a software that is replacing the doctor. We're giving tools to the doctor to take better decisions. Okay. So you do need an expertise to customize the software to your needs to help to do your role as an additive manufacturing expert or as an engineer that has a job to identify opportunities for additive within the company to do your job better. Okay. So we're not replacing the engineer. We're giving tools to the engineers to take better decisions. What I mean is that in the technology level, the software is very much customizable. So just on costing, there are more than 300 parameters and about 70% of them are customizable. It means that the user can adjust them the way he used to see things before he started using the software. So if you're, um, if you work in a factory where the engineer's hourly salary, hourly rate is not uh, $50 an hour, it's $30 an hour, then you can change it and that will affect the cost estimation of a part, okay? And eventually after the recommendation has been given, the user still needs to do a lot of deep dive analysis to do, for example, um, things that has to do with finite elements analysis of resonance and fluids and heat transfer and uh, etc. to do an actual tray calculation if he needs if he wants to consider himself printing like a service bureau where the tray contains other things rather than the part that we've recommended on we're not doing tray uh 
um, what's called tray optimization for a bureau, for a service bureau. That's us thinking whether a part in a situation of additive manufacturing can be printed. So all of those things happen after Castor and we're integrating with other tools that coming after Castor to help the engineer to complete the complete the analysis. Okay. But it, sounds, it sounds like it could be really exciting though. And 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 it's just aimed for like smaller companies or bigger companies. What's the the, the model of you guys? How, how, how do you work with customers outside? Uh, we have three different products. Castor Lite, that's a cloud solution more for small companies, usually an entry uh, level into into additive. It's more of a lend and expense strategy, I would say, from Castro point of view. And that's a, a yearly subscription for a bank of parts that the company can analyze in one year. So either the year ends or either the bank of parts that the company can upload to the software ends. So that's for, I would say, engineers who got the job to identify parts for additive, but they're not purely additive manufacturing experts, okay? It's more of MPI managers, production engineers, procurement managers who see the benefit of cost reduction or accelerate time to market on additive, but they don't know how to utilize it to uh, gain profit. The majority of sales we do is of a product called Castor Enterprise that's for larger companies that already have an expert. Um, then it's a tool that's being used by him, which means that multiple engineers within the company throw in uh, assemblies and parts to the tool and the expert look, take a look on the results and he chooses whether what to do with the, the analysis after it's being done. Uh, that's for companies that has additive manufacturing expert with a small team, with a budget, with, a, with an initiative specifically to produce parts for end use manufacturing in additive manufacturing. That's uh, pretty unique. And we have another option which called Castor White Label. That's us providing Castor as an infrastructure to other players in the additive manufacturing arena. So they can give this to their potential customers, either as a pre-sale tool for 3D printers or materials, or either as a post-sale tool to get better adoption. That's also, I think, part of the reason why we have, uh, for example, investors from within the additive manufacturing uh, industry. Yeah, because you guys, you have uh, Evonik, right, which is a long-term 3D printing player making most of the powder or a lot of the powders for powder by Fusion, who's, I think, also an investor, and they also have a tool that's based on your technology, right? Right, so that's that's a very good example. Thanks for raising that up. So Evonik (laughs) has a tool that we've mutually developed. It's called 3D Screener that's on their 3D printing website, and it is for uploading parts and see if it makes sense specifically to use Evonik materials, which is powder-based solutions for, for a lot of the powder solutions that we know today. Yeah, other uh, publications we've done around this Castor white label is of uh, a collaboration with Nexus 3D. That's a tool called Simplify. That's also in their website based on Nexus 3D printers and materials. We are in digital factory of Ultimaker. We're collaborating with Materialize at a software called CoAM, where you can do parts identification at Castor and then do the rest of the workflow with other tools that Materials offers to you with the option to 
connect it eventually to materialize it, materialize as a service bureau. So Castor is involved in a lot of uh, other tools out there under the brand of the other company. And where, where do you guys want to go? I mean, do you want to move toward that white label thing? Do you want to keep offering these type of things or is there, is there like a strategic future for you guys? That's a good question. First, it's a go-to-market. I mean, we 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 know that the customers out there looking for a broader umbrella rather than the uh, parts identification software that Castor is offering. So we are exposed to those customers who are looking for this larger umbrella by being a player within this umbrella, and then we can offer them maybe other things that Castor has to offer that they didn't notice uh, when we are bring, being offered under somebody else's brand. But to be honest, uh, if we will take this one step forward and we are doing that with other players in the industry, think of uh, PLM players or PDM players or ERP players or CAD vendor players, think of Castor working like a bot which means I have an assembly. I'm a manufacturer in, uh, I don't know, in a turnkey or in a contract manufacturing company. And I've finished my assembly design and now I'm pressing a button and Castor analyzed this assembly. And in a second or maybe in the, in the night, it gives me an indication whether the R parts that make sense to use that the manufacturing fully automatically. We pulled the information from a product life, uh, life management tool. We do our thing and we put out the analysis to the relevant engineer when we found opportunities. And that's not white label, but that's us fully integrated into the tools where the CAD and the 2D drawings and the information are, are there. Uh, and that's definitely a place where we want to be. So yeah. Are you selling this at this point? Like, are, are you making revenue off of it at this point? Yeah. Or is it still oh, sure. making money? Caster, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Caster uh, launched uh, Caster Lite in Formnex 19. That was uh, the beginning. Then in December 2020, uh, despite COVID, we've launched Caster Enterprise. And since then, we have uh, tens of customers uh, paying on 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 Castor, uh, on a yearly subscription basis with uh, real revenues with uh, a lot of the players out there that we all know uh, that are using the tool. And the white label option that we just mentioned is also an additional revenue stream of Castor. Uh, that's, of course, that's, uh, that's us collaborating with other players that are selling the tool sometimes under their brand. And we get, uh, we, we have those, uh, right, right. Exactly. So uh, definitely the answer is yes. But Okay, so the interesting thing about this is that it seems like a really nifty tool, right? That could be really helpful for everyone. So you could make yourself indispensable to OEMs, to software companies or whatever, or you at one point could have like the likes of Siemens and Materialize all build exactly what you guys are doing. So you're kind of stuck in between. We're stuck in. It's a nice place to be, to be really wanted, but, but you, you know. You also have the problem that maybe like you're really desired and obviously desired and people will copy it. How do you balance that? Let's say. I think there there are like two questions within within the question. First, how we are integrate. Let's say what's the kind of uh, relationship we have with the other players in the industry that are, that are doing similar things and the competitive advantage of Castor, which is a clear technology 
edge. But on, on the collaboration with other players in the industry, I would say that as of today, we're not stepping on anyone's toes. And this is why those players are looking for us as a component within their umbrella. This is uh, how I described it, it uh, a few minutes ago, which means that although Siemens are, tr- are in this effort of providing an end-to-end solution to the user, they rather work uh, with companies like Castor to do the parts identification. Uh, they have other tools that they are very strong in that we can collaborate with either before or either after Castor. So that's uh, this very niche opportunity that we're not stepping on anyone's toes, but with that, people want that brick within a bigger umbrella of their building. That's a huge advantage for us. Uh, the competitive advantage and the reason why there is a technology edge that is a big barrier for them to develop that tool is first the ability to analyze both CAD assemblies and 2D drawings. Usually it's one of them that they're expertise in. And when I'm talking about CAD file analysis, it means that we know how to do the analysis without any additional input from the user. That's very different than the way our competitors are using uh, those tools as of today. It usually requires a lot of information from the user to get into uh, those uh, this level of accuracy of the results the way we have it. Okay, so a very deep computational geometry capability, a very deep, a very large database of printers and materials a very high knowledge in additive manufacturing from a technical and economical perspective allows them to choose us over developing that by their own. Okay, that's interesting because I think I think there are a lot of technologies out there and there are uh, more and more machines getting added and stuff. So uh, I think right now we're very much a powder bed fusion industry uh, for a lot of our, our, our parts. But So which kind of technologies do you also have DED? Do you also have like the new binder jet technologies mm-hmm. and stuff like that? Is that also in, in your functionality or? Um, the ideas of today we don't have just because the adjustment is a bit different than adding a pure additive manufacturing technique, let's call it this way. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about WAM, I mean, uh, W-A-M. But uh, we do have more than 100 printers, vendors of printers. We do have more than 250 different materials. The metrics between them is pretty large. We work with service bureaus, okay? It means that the end result of Castro is that we can point you to a service bureau to get a quote and to actually print the part. So uh, whenever they have a new printer out there or they have a new material out there, it's of their interest to update us because we provide them traffic. So this is how we update the database. It's not a daily update that we do to the database, but I would say on a bi-weekly or a monthly uh, update that we do. We're doing industrial printing, so we don't have desktop printers, uh, or let's say we don't do prototyping. Okay, we don't have pure prototyping kind of printers, so it's not like every day there is a new printer and uh, material out there. It's uh, those industrial-grade printers and materials that we are embedding more and more into the tool. Is this answering your question? Yeah, sure, sure. It'd just you know, be handy for people to know what's included and what's not. I mean, I think, and at one point, this is also a barrier to entry, right? If you have that huge database of all these properties right. and all these materials, right. it's going to be really difficult right. for someone to to catch right. up. It's gonna, well, it's going to be time-consuming, essentially. And at one point, if I'm like the 10th guy doing this, then like, you know, a or whatever, <laughs> or 
it's just going to be like, go away, <laughs> you know, kind of going to be interesting. And then, so I like the tools functionality. I mean, I think, I think, I think it, it also, like I literally did what your tool does as a job for like a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so I also see this, I see this as a kind of like, it could be a really easy way for me to do my job, uh, but also it could like put me out not putting on a business, but really, it really cost me a bunch of business or I could use it. Right. Um, so I think it's, it could be a really you know, a, uh, a really exciting tool, but I just, um, yeah, the, the business side of it is just, the, the, is the difficult one for me because like, it's like, we see with a lot of these MES tools and stuff that the runway is very long. I mean, the, the time for them to find a lot of customers is really, mm-hmm. really long and they have to then survive that. I mean, it's good that you guys have revenue, but you know, are you anticipating kind of growing very rapidly soon or are you just going to be kind of more, more conservative and grow over time to become just a profitable firm or, or are you less worried about that because you're part of a university? Well, uh, yeah, I don't know, though. <laughs> so, uh, first, it's, it's a good question. I would say this, okay? First, Castor is reaching out to companies that are not into additive yet. So, MES Solutions, are, the, the first qualification question the sales engineer asks is, how many printers do you have in your company, right? We don't ask this question. We go to a manufacturing trade show or conference and there we find companies that wants to go into additive but they're not there yet at all so i mm-hmm. think the total addressable market that we're addressing mm-hmm. which is purely manufacturing that's not manufacturing who decided to go into additive that's manufacturing who didn't decide to go into additive is much larger so adaption rate of castor is totally different it is true that we're uh talking to traditional manufacturing companies. So the sales process is long, but the total addressable market is different. That That's how I interpret that. I would add again that part of Castor's strength is to connect to those MESs. So even if an MES already have case, it has a customer and uh, he is missing the part identification part of it, then we can integrate into them. We're already doing that with uh, some of the largest names within that industry. So we're we're also gaining the slow processes that you mentioned that they already went through, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's also adding to our rapid growth and the fact that we're being used by almost by a lot of the players in the additive manufacturing arena. There are a few names coming up. Um, this year that we can't uh, expose here today, but they will come up in the next uh, few uh, trade shows and, and publications. So that puts us She's in, 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 a, in, a, uh, <laughs> in a different position. We're, we're expecting to grow, uh, I think, grow faster. It doesn't mean that the sales process is shorter, but we can mm-hmm. grow faster. Okay, because that's interesting. I mean, you're right. The time is huge on 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 everyone. That see, the interestingly, it wouldn't even be now. It's just the companies are like, oh my god, we're in the aerospace. We need to do this because all the other guys in aerospace are doing this. But I think if we manage to to be able to convince companies that you know that are in really complete, radically different company uh, businesses, that this could make sense for certain parts somewhere in the inventory, it could be really exciting. To me, it would be really difficult, you know, reaching out to these businesses that maybe. You know where there aren't any obvious uh, wins for additive, like you know, 
aerospace or satellite company, whatever, yeah, of course they're going to want to talk to you, right? But I mean, somebody else, like a machining manufacturer, maybe they don't even see it. Or do you, or how do you convince companies like that to, to, to try you out? That, that, that's our target audience. We're t- mostly talking with m- industrial machinery manufacturers, industrial equipment manufacturers, players, for example, in the energy uh, arena or in food and beverage arena or in... Uh, industrial logistics or supply chain these are not players as you said it's not the classic aerospace or automotive companies Mm -hmm. who lead the world of adapting additive these are exactly the kind of customers we have let's take an example of spare parts that you just mentioned right an inventory of spare parts we have companies for example one of the largest beer company in the world they have more than 2 million spare parts sitting in a warehouse uh, somewhere on the globe. And uh, where, where is it? South Africa? Is it <laughs> Brazil? <laughs> Holland? Um, no, I, I, I think you can't say it's the point. It's like, it's like largest up. beer company. Like, it's like, it's like three yeah. giant ones. <laughs> Right. That's a, so you're, Denmark you're right. is it in Denmark, Omer? Okay, you're right with all your you're right with all of your assumptions. The answer is yes for all of the questions you ask. So they they use Castor just to know, just to know out of they don't print. They're not into additives. They don't even care about how to produce parts. Okay, they're into making beer, right? And they want to use Castor just to know whether there is an option. To avoid keeping on a shelf 1,000 long tail spare parts that uh, each of them is never going to be used, maybe. And just to know that it's an option to print them on demand, three kilometers from the brewery of where you're actually going to need the part. And as I've said, to avoid uh, keeping them on the shelf in traditional, the minimum quantity they need in traditional manufacturing okay that that's an example of a company using castor without printing okay without mm-hmm. crossing the river right. of actually printing <laughs> uh-huh. and that's mm-hmm. uh, an example of how our target audience is larger than mm-hmm. mes's in that perspective yeah i think that could be really interesting i mean i think if we're going forward i mean it could, you could guide them from the beginning of the additive adoption, but also like going forward, like throughout the lifetime of the, uh, if they go forward and also indeed, yeah, some people could just not care. You know, do these people know how expensive these, these, these spare parts are? Can, can you do, do they often realize this even, or first, if we, pro- we provided this equation to, to know how expensive it is a lot of time in spare parts, the price is not of an issue because it's a failure case. Not a failure case. It's a case of a, a failed mechanical component somewhere. So the price is not this, the highest sensitivity. The, the lead time is the mm-hmm. is what drives yeah, them. The and then they are they they want to be prepared for that situation. So they use Castro to go over the inventory list before the failure mm-hmm. happened, right? So they want to know that if it will happen, then it will only cost I don't know one hundred dollars per part instead of the $2 they maybe pay today, but it still saves them uh, a whole production line from being stopped. So um, by the way, it's the kind of information we provide in the tool as of today. The equivalence of uh, minimum stock in injection molding or die casting versus Mm -hmm. a single part on demand coming fast, which is more expensive, as you said, 
but it is solving mm -hmm. a problem. That, that, that it's the kind of information we provide in the mm -hmm. tool. I'm not saying that it's easy to convince them, okay? But mm -hmm. think of that, okay? Uh, uh, something interesting that we've learned. If you're managed to to convince the procurement manager or the production engineer or the NPI engineer, the one who is responsible on either cost reduction or either responsible on getting the part to where the part needed, not the designer engineer, not the one who created the part, okay? Then if mm -hmm. they can see the financial benefit, they will convince the designer engineer, okay? I mean, they have a case and, and we are counting on them to convince a designer engineer, which he is the, um, the guy that needs to go through the, lar the longest uh, educational process. And this is the task of uh, SolidWorks and HP and, and, and strategies of the world to, 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 to work him through this educational process. That's not us. And where do you hope to be the business like in five years? Where do you hope to grow to, towards or what goals do you have? So I'll answer clothes in five years and then I'll answer in, in five years. Uh, but, but the end goal is being a bomb optimization tool within every engineer, production engineer toolkit. Okay. So those non-experts, as you said, that wants to scan their whole bill of material, they have a click of a button and we take it from there. And we're optimizing the bill of material, the whole bill of material, not just for additive, but for uh, production methods in general. And if the uh, material price in China for aluminum 6061 is higher these days, so maybe you want to consider uh, using aluminum 6061 in Spain, right? So those kind of uh, bomb optimization suggestion that we, we were working on. In a shorter term, we've done a, a very large improvement when it comes to metals. Obviously, metals to identify a part in metal is obviously uh, a lot harder than identifying a part in plastics. The considerations are, are more complex. The ability to identify cost reduction opportunities is much harder, etc., etc. But we've done a, a big progress in that. We've done a big, big, big progress in connectivity, so PLM, PDM, and MES and workflow solution coming after Castor. So that's, uh, we've talked about it earlier. And we have more and more players that are using Castor within the industry. So you can really tell that we're being trusted by the largest players so they can take us to the market. And I think um, that gives us a, a big boost to to understand that what we're doing is needed. All right, Omar, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, thanks, thanks for telling us all about Castor, and uh, good luck with the, developing your business. We'll send you a trial version, but you will need to pay after that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, okay. All right, all right. All, all right. right. Well, th yeah, thanks, thanks again, thanks Omar. For the time, and then looking forward to meeting you in person in one of the next uh, trade shows. You have met me in person, but it's nice to be forgettable. Um, but uh, <laughs> 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 but you were talking to Max, right? No, Max. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He was talking to me. Don't take it personally, George. <laughs> no, no, but Max, uh, Max, and you. Thank you for being here as well today. Thank you, George. Always entertaining. And thank you for listening. And uh, this is another episode of the 3D Pod. Have a great day. 
You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.